Steve Mannion here, writer and creator of the Smash comic Fearless Dawn, and you're listening to an 11 o'clock comics. <laughs> Gonna run with that. If you're happy with it. I am perfect is perfect. There's no such thing as perfect. Wow. You're in a mood, I can see that. I'm not in a mood. I'm oh. happy. I'm happy dappy. This is just you're just imprinting whatever you got going on on me. I'm in a good mood. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm chilling like Bob Dylan Mars Friday. <laughs> Recording with my booze, got to read some comics today. Shit is right. It is right. And so are we, because this is 11 O'Clock Comics, episode 856, and I'm Vince B. You are Vince B. I am David A. Price. This I can confirm, and of course, I am reloaded, for I am Nemesis. Wow. You're an evil bastard, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, a right, a right cunt, as Mark Miller would say. Wow. Wow, straight off in the episode, you're dropping the C word? I'm quoting Mark Miller. Uh, the man literally, his elevator pitch for the book was, what if Batman was a cunt? Well, you don't have to say it again. <laughs> it's like he's Logan Roy over Oh, yeah, because our, our YouTube algorithm is going to be ruined. Oh, and, and I heard the pitter-patter of little feet, little funny feet. They're upstairs. <laughs> little feet. <laughs> Jason, who do we have with us this week? Well, from your introduction, you're making it sound like we have Dobby the house elf, but, but <laughs> in, fact, in fact... He died in a drawer. <laughs> With the socks. We have making his triumphant return. Uh, I don't even know how many times this gentleman's been on the show, but uh, he is in many ways um, uh, a favorite of ours in no small part because it feels like we have... Our journey as a podcast has uh, has has come along with uh, with his amazing journey as a creator, from his early days to now the smash success that he is, the world phenom. Um, when he was last on the show, he told us about this new book he was doing called Eight Billion Genies, and that book has wrapped up and is uh, quite splendiferously successful. And now he's back again to tell us what he's up to, and uh, I guess he's proving this week that you can go home again. Welcome back. Our good friend, Mr. Ryan Brown. Wow, that was awesome. Wasn't Hi. it, though? Hi, that was really good. I like that a lot. Yeah. Hi, I, I'm home again. <laughs> <laughs> I think if we tally the uh, repeat performances on this show, you would probably tie or be very close to the top. Oh, yeah. Who, yeah. For sure, who, I, yeah. Who, I, who would I be tied with? Who do I? Well, oh, please. Tony. Have you Tony Fleece. He's on yeah. a lot as a, as a, as a, like a co-host. Scotty but. is up there. Yep. Yeah, but Scotty's, I mean, the last few years, it's been like once every 18 months yeah. or so. It hasn't been. I think well, Daniel Warren is... Johnson is up there. Yeah. Tom King. Yeah. But the, uh, yeah. but I mean, it's yeah, and, but now we're talking time. single, single digits with. with right. Single, I was going to say. But, I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. But with uh, the hell. Um, Certainly Mario and Zach. I mean. The, the, yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah, as far. Yes, 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 yes. Right. But, I mean, I mean Tony's technically creators. Tony's a creator, but it doesn't draw as well as Ryan. But he's funny. Just, Damn. <laughs> Dude, you just, you know, it is a, like, you are just, when Tony's here, it's like he's your boo. You, I love him. You would kick, you would kick Dap and I to the curb for a, a, a Tony Vince show. But when he's not here, you are vicious. Do you <laughs> do this to us too? Like, are you looking Yes. No, are but you, I. Oh, of course he does. I do it to you. Being like this motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. All right. Um, hey, I have a little promo here. Oh. Yes. Oh, because dude, yes. this would Carry not on. be possible if not for CheapGraphicNovels.com. Now, they say, you know, what's in a name? Well, in this case, everything's in a name. Cheap Graphic Novels. That's what you're going to encounter if you go to this place. And get this. This month, until June 23rd, it's currently running, there is a massive sale focusing on a son of Samaria who was known by many things in his lifetime. A freebooter, a buccaneer, a usurper, an adventurer, eventually a king. Yes, I'm talking about Conan. If you go to CheapGraphicNovels.com, there is currently a Conan sale, 55% off until June 23rd. Now you're saying, all right, maybe it's like, what, one or two Conan books that are on sale? <laughs> no, no, many Conan books for sale. You know those epic collections that Marvel loves to publish? I love them, but let's be honest, they're way too expensive. Like, who wants to pay 49 bucks for a freaking trade paperback? Thick as they may be, you're not going to pay that because there is a ton of epic collections on sale at CheapGraphicNovels.com for $20.25. Damn. That's right. That's that's the right price. It's right in the pocket. And get this, Mahmoud Asrar and Jason Aaron's Conan, which was unbelievably good, you can get the hardcover reprinting 12 issues for $15.75. That's $19.24 off. That's crazy town. Plus, all the Marvel Omnibu, the original Marvel years, $56.25 a pop. You're saving $68.75 each. That's more than you're paying. This is unbelievable. Go to CheapGraphicNovels.com and save on Conan. And if you don't like Conan, there's plenty of other stuff that you're going to save. So go there. And here's the deal. Once you place your order for all this Conan stuff, um, you're going to get a, uh email confirmation saying, yo, thanks for buying all this stuff. And you're going to reply to that email confirmation and say, yes, I would not have known about any of this if it if not for 11 o'clock comics. And then, guess what? You will receive a present. Yep. It's like a butterfly out of your butt. You will get free shipping on your second order. That's insane. Do you, we, we all know how ridiculously expensive shipping is these days. Mm-hmm. You're going to get it for free on your second order. Free 99? No, free. So go yeah, there. Free 99, that's but, what I said. Cheapgraphicnovels.com. You're undaunted. I appreciate that. Yes. I'm excited. Yes, that was awesome. You are excited. I am Why excited. are you excited? Because we have a wonderful guest this week, and I love talking to him because he makes me laugh. Not only that, but I, I get I get an insight into the the comic book making business. Every every time I come on here, I just uh, talk at length about inside baseball, uh, and uh, <laughs> and then I and then like we we talk for like an hour, and then I'm like, man, was that interesting? <laughs> uh, yes. I don't think you have to worry about that. You're always interesting. Yeah, I'll yeah. I'll talk I'll talk some shop all day. Excellent, because that's what we want to hear. Uh, I'm just going to get this over with. I'm drinking blackberry lemonade. Lemonade. Well, no, you're drinking blackberry lemonade seltzer, right? Yeah. 
That's not what you said. You said you're drinking blackberry lemonade. That'd be different. Yes, it would be different. Much more flavorful, but probably much more <laughs> not caloric as, bubbly. as well. More caloric, I'm sure. Now you, Jace. Uh, I am drinking um, Pamplemousse, uh, pink grapefruit uh, seltzer myself. Nice. It's a seltzer night. Can't stop, won't stop. I can dig it. What about yourself, Mr. Brown? Um, I am drinking Gummy Vortex Hazy IPA from (laughs) Noon Whistle in uh, Lombard, Illinois. And they are uh, an excellent brewery. And they do the gummy hazy IPA about as well as anyone. Good stuff. So is it sweet? I'm I'm guessing it's sweet. Decently sweet, yeah. Okay. But it's like seven point five percent, so it's a little boozy, a little sweet. Nice. Um, and then I I I had a wonderful lunch today with Mr. Tim Seeley, um, where, oh, I had a, where I had a Guinness that then made me very tired, and now I'm like I'm ready and come back to life. Excellent. <laughs> this is it. I'm bringing it for you guys. How's Tim doing? He's great. He's great. He, uh, yeah, that guy has more jobs than anyone I know in comics. It's really kind of amazing. Got a lot of yeah, irons we, in the we, fire. We yeah. bring his name up a lot on the show because he's his concentric circles overlap. I mean, with Fleece, it's always about Seeley and Local Man. And we had him on the show oh. once, I think, right? Way back in the day. Way back, yeah. I would love Talking to get him on and talk about... Masters of the Universe. Yes, would. I was going to say, I think when he came yeah. on, we talked about um, Hack Slash and Masters of the Universe, but that was, I mean, I bet you that was a decade ago. Yep. Yeah. And you kept that saying guy, how homoerotic it is, and I think you pissed yeah. him off. Because I think it was before, we had him on before he did the long series with Norton. Yeah. Revival? Yeah. Revival. Yeah, Revival. Yeah. 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 No, Tim, you can talk to Tim indefinitely about uh, any any nerd topic. It is a lot, a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Come on. I read it. that 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 witch thing that he just did. What is it called? Um, Hexware. Hex, Hexware. Yeah. Hexware. Yeah. It was pretty fun. It was fun. Yeah. And and yeah. and um, you know, it had the good girl art, titillating. So yeah, it worked for me. Yeah. I uh, I haven't read that. I've read I've read the first two of Local Man, which I think is great and really fun, and it's being received well. And I think he and Tony are having. Um, like a super fun nerdy time with it, mm-hmm. you know. Like it's a, <clears throat> it, it's one of those things that's work but not really work because it's yeah exactly what they want to be doing. So right. they um, got that big crossover issue coming up. Yeah, have uh, have they hit you up for uh, to borrow any of your characters? Uh, we were talking about it today, actually. So oh, okay, um, excellent. We'll I mean, my guys don't have the muscles. Usually that that I think the guys that they're looking to to use require, you know, to have. Um, we talked a lot about how he got to use Boof in this new yep. um, Deathmate spinoff special they're going to do. So uh, pretty jealous about that. <laughs> I, I'm I'm mystified. Like Tony's the same way. He's like, I finally got to use Boof in a comic. Why is Boof so, so special? I don't know. It's just like it was so ridiculous yeah. uh, when it came out, and just just kind of the right age for like just total. I mean, it just it's one of those characters that feels like a little kid made it, right? Um, <laughs> just oh, like sure. in the execution of every aspect of it, and so um, you know, when you're younger, you're like, oh, awesome! Like so much of that image stuff. 
I think appealed to kids and teenagers because it felt like it was made with the spirit of a kid or a teenager. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm very jealous that he gets to work with Boof. <laughs> well, I think he should return some of that jealousy because you currently have a Kickstarter. And it mm. is blowing up. It is... 33 the- minutes, right? It took to... <laughs> Yeah, to fulfill. Yeah. It's crazy. It it is the return of God hates astronauts, and whoop, whoop. It, appropriately titled "God hates astronauts again." Again, <laughs> uh, it's a single issue, and you are just blowing past these stretch goals. Like it's crazy. What like what are some of the stuff that you're going to throw in here? Um. Well, you know, I'm like. I'm running out of ideas. I did not expect it to do as well as it's doing. Um, not for any particular reason, but just like uh, what I'm finding with this Kickstarter is that Kickstarter's kind of changed the way that it works in terms of it has built in this add-on section. So um, a lot of people are that like God hates astronauts are buying God hates astronauts through the Kickstarter, and then they're getting to add on like the 8 Billion Genies hardcover or, you know, Christopher's stuff or some of my other, like, Blast Furnace and other books. Um, And that made it hit its goal so fast that I wasn't really prepared. (laughs) Uh, uh, Like, I didn't have the stretch goals, like, like spread out super far. But, like, currently, um, it comes with a book. It comes with a PDF of the book. It comes with a PDF of the book entirely rescripted where I just – fill the word balloons with other jokes um it comes with a digital sketchbook it comes with a sticker a book plate um uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna have my wife take a video of me jumping as high as i can and post (laughs) it on the internet um i'm gonna order a pizza and and then sit there and not eat it for an hour um and like uh, you know chronicle that um so yeah i'm just like throwing like little silly things um into it and then uh yeah, I mean, look, I, I was just trying to do a Kickstarter that wasn't going to be, like, an overwhelming thing for me. And now it's become an overwhelming thing, which is a good problem to have. So, right. And it's, right. a, it's, it's a short campaign, right? It's only, like, it, it's a couple dozen it, – it's, like, a dozen – a baker's dozen worth of days. How, it, how many days was it? 13? Yeah, it's a, it's a two-week campaign. So, okay. Uh, it's awesome. Yeah, I mean, yeah. look, I – my initial idea was, can I make enough money to sustain making a comic and then kickstarting it and publishing it by myself? And like do, you know, it can't be monthly because I have to do so much in the creation of the book. But like, can I do like four or five issues in a series via Kickstarter? Um, but the concept of doing like four or five 30-day Kickstarters in a year, I mean, everyone would lose their mind with uh, boredom and, and, like, exhaustion from that. So, I don't know. Like, you make, you make like, 50% of your money in the first two days. So, why the hell am I doing a 30-day thing? Like, I even think about, like, should I have just done this for a week? Um, just to, like, get, get the comic, get the comic funded, get it printed. I'm going to ship it to people immediately and, like, printing it domestically um, and... And then just like turn it around really fast, so it's it's just like a, I don't know, it's an event, but it's also just like a pre-order system. And um, you know, if this one didn't, if it hadn't worked, and people didn't want it, then I would go and make a different book. Um, so it's versus like if I did a new image book, I'd have to work on it for like six six months or a year 
before I'd find like my FOC numbers on issue one. And like, that's a huge, 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 huge gamble um, versus just like doing a, like I just finished this comic and then I launched Kickstarter and then I'm going to get it printed. And so like from me having the files finished, like people are going to have it probably within a month of that, which is awesome. And that's, if that works, I mean, it's, it's a lot of work running the Kickstarter. It's a lot of work. Um, you know, the Kickstarter has done well, again, because I have a decent back catalog of self-published stuff that I'm selling through it. Um, and so, like, the fulfillment process, which I'm also going to do myself, is going to take a long time now. Um, so, I don't know. I'm, 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 like, playing fast and loose here and, and, like, figuring out this as, like, a creative model um, where I don't have the energy to start completely over on a new image book at this point. So, um I'm going to try something like this for a while. All right. Well, you wrote the book on Kickstarter back in the day. It's I mean, your, what, eighth, eighth project? Seventh or eighth, I think, yeah. Um, I, I do it. There, there are people that do it better than me in terms of they have nicer videos and better graphics and, like, I don't know, just, like, an overall fancier presentation. Um I just the thing that I think is great about Kickstarters and I've backed a lot of them and, and the ones that I back is usually because I really like um, personally contributing to like what a creator has made. And so when I make my Kickstarters, I just make them very personal and I make them me. I do it all. Um, it's the best way to get books from me that I will sign and, and draw on. And th- that unfortunately is becoming I mean, fortunately, unfortunately, with 8 Billion Genies, that became a thing that I had to start charging for because of the the way that my fan base and market has changed around my books and the resale market and all that stuff. So um, going back to doing Kickstarter, where it's just like, yeah, I can just draw on these and, and sign them for people and, and everyone will like appreciate them. And it's not just a bunch of people that are just hoping to flip them or, you know they're not investments as much as they are like being a part of the creative process with me. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's what I try to, to promote with my Kickstarters. And I think, I think people for the most part really respond to it well. Um, So yeah, so there's other ways to do it, but this is kind of like, I made my video in a day. Um, There's other people that like hire and get people to do graphics and stuff. But then, but then I look and like less than a hundred Less than a hundred views of the video have been completed at this point, so <laughs> like it doesn't matter, um, right? Yeah, and, and I don't think of slick and and overproduced when I think of your work. Anyway, that's not your aesthetic. So you yeah. could do all the bells and whistles whistles you want on the on the uh, Kickstarter page. I'm with you. I don't really think it matters. Uh, yeah. pe- people come for you. Yeah, yeah. Which was and and that part of my question earlier is that have you I know it's been barely two days, so it's too early to tell. You'll you'll know you'll have a better idea once you start fulfilling the, the tiers. But do you do you have a sense that the people who are backing this because it is God hates astronauts again are they backing it because they are fans of you? They're familiar with the with the content and they just they enjoy backing you like the three of us do, or do you have a sense that uh, there might be some new eyeballs or maybe even just people from curse words, right? Billion genies because it's you checking out your Kickstarter. And this is maybe their first time 
messing around in, in the God Hates Astronauts universe? Um, I So I, I did this one. Like, I made this issue of God Hates Astronauts during the pandemic, um, and then I never released it because um, I just, like, I couldn't figure out a way to make it funny. Like, I did it as, <laughs> like, I'm going to take a vacation during this pandemic, and I'm going to write and draw an issue of something that makes me laugh. And then once I finished, I was like, well, there's no, there's no humor in this. So I shelved it. Um, and so then when I was thinking about like what to do after a billion genies, um, I, you know, it's a really weird thing to have such a huge hit, like eight billion genies and like eight billion genies was a massive, massive hit. It like blew away everything else that I've ever done by like a ton but it doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean that anyone's going to follow me to the next thing mm-hmm. um, versus like the stuff that I the stuff that is more like my pure imagination dumped out um, I think the fans get like there's more of a, like a cult following for that kind of stuff so um, so I, I decided that I was going to try this and see if people still were interested in like helping me self-publish a book um, and then, so I just had that God hates astronauts. So I just like recolored it, and then I threw away all the lettering, and I relettered it from scratch. Um, and I and I crafted it into something that I was proud of, and I thought was actually funny. Like I kind of found the voice again for it. Um, and so that that was like the that was going to be the test for um, for doing this monthly or doing like single issue kickstarters was something that. Um, you know, I had already started working on, so it was again like you know, it was just like a low risk thing to see if this model would work. And so I then like doing the Kickstarter, I basically just sent it out to my mailing list and I sent it out to um, people that had backed my previous God Hates Astronaut stuff, and that was it. Like that's the only real promotion that I did, just to see like if people wanted more of this. Um, if I had done. Uh, you know, one of my other books that I have, like, you know, in the hopper that I will one day do, if I had done something new, then I probably would have approached it trying to get some new fans. Um, but with this, I was just like, well, let's just see if the people that read God Hates Astronauts still want to read God Hates Astronauts. So, um, and, you know, like, there's tears in there. You can get the omnibus. You can get, um, if you if you really are new to it, you can get caught up. But I, I I'm basically seeing all the same names coming back from other you know previous kickstarters and it's been like i don't know it's very very exciting that i could do this again like the way that i'm i'm doing it and i'm glad and and you know so i probably like i'm gonna stick with finishing out this story and then i'll move on to something else but um yeah it's just it was just really like a model to see if i could like rally the troops again and uh, so far it has worked really well so at some point, will there be a a tier to unlock for the original pandemic version of this issue? Um, I you know that is one of that is the last stretch goal that I have so far. That's posted uh, is like a director's cut that will be. I'll just build. I'll put together a PDF of like the original version, um, and then like. You know, I write I write a lot of outlines and stuff, and put that in there and thumbnails, and and I'll and I'll put together like a, a behind, like a full behind the scenes document. Like it's it, all this stuff that you can put into a Kickstarter that you would not get um, if you just you know solicited it and had to go through Diamond and be in stores. You know, so uh, 
it's one of the things that like sure it costs twenty dollars for a comic but i am doing a really small batch printing with really expensive printing like 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 80 pound paper and 110 pound cover stock with like a soft touch finish and they come signed numbered i draw on them they come with all this bonus stuff from the, the stretch goals and they come with a pack of trading cards and stuff so like all these little things that i can put in this to make it to me it's almost like an art project right um versus like yeah, I mean, there is a world where I could do this and I could print it like a Marvel comic on like the, you know, a 40 pound gloss, you know, self cover kind of thing and then just put it in a bag and board and send it to you. And, you know, I could I would probably charge like seven, eight bucks or something for that, depending on the print run. But like, I think people want it to be something nice. Right. And so. I made it something nice. And that's that that is like a personal gamble I took. Like do would someone pay $20 for a single issue of a book? But like so far so good. Um but it, you know like uh, like figuring out the economics of, like it's a lot of risk taking and it's just a lot of me wanting to treat my fans well and like figuring out a way to make this like totally worth it financially and like experientially because kickstarters are an event um so so yeah i mean if if like if you want to just read the book just buy some pdfs you know like yeah if you mm-hmm. if you want if you want the artifact and the piece of art that you know i touch every single one of these i work on every single one of these and and um i think that that's a cool experience like i like that kind of stuff with a kickstarter um and you know it's completely different than like getting getting an, you know comic on the rack right you don't produce poop is what you're trying to say he does not no um but we got to talk mean, if it's i mean he may draw it but yeah. no uh we got to talk about this rescripted issue right yeah because you solicited variations of the gha title um yeah. yes and i submitted one be- because I didn't need three, because I think the one is pretty damn good. Did you there, see what it happened to be? I read it today. Yeah. Um, there were an incredible amount of entries, so I don't remember, but, man, there were some that really... Uh, there was a really lot, and some of them were funny. Yeah, some of them were some funny. Of them, what, some of them was that Grandma Huff's ammonia a, a, a submission, or was that your... Tr- I'm confused. Was that-, that was my first... Oh, that was my go. I, okay. That was yeah. my go. I started okay. it. Right. Well, well, I, mine was. I mean, I, I think it's good, and and I, I'd be lying if I didn't think it was the best one. It's it's Gooch Humps Axolotl. Yes, <laughs> I did read that one. It's pretty yeah. good. I win. Yeah. What, what's going to what be do you better win? than what's that? the prize? Is it no prize? No, that's a title. It gets to be the title. It becomes the title of the book. I well, if he chew, but, but I'm saying, do you really win, or is it a no prize? I mean, do you? No. I put your I put your name on it. I give you uh, I do a little logo. I did this for the last Kickstarter, and uh, it it was it was a decent winner. But you know, like I let I let all the backers vote on it, and the last one was um, Grimace's Hamburger Atrocity. That's what the book was called. So I made a Grimace's Hamburger Atrocity <laughs> logo for it. Um, uh, uh, my favorite from last time was Grandpa's haircut appointment. <laughs> that is good. <laughs> but it, it did not win. I, I let people vote. So um, yeah. 
But yeah, I mean, no, I'll, I, I'll do the logo. I will. I'm gonna do. I'm doing print versions of it, um, which are always super fun. And like, I just use the original art, but I leave part of it blank, and then I draw a head on it for people. And um, but then you know, you get. I'm gonna send you some art and some bonus stuff. And I haven't really figured out what the whole care package kind of thing would be. But uh, yeah, it's not a no price. Nice. It's fun. It is. It's very fun. I think the head that you drew for Grandma Huff's ammonia is spectacular. Thank you. Uh, he makes me smile. He really does. <laughs> it's a good one. Yeah. It's 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 just outstanding. But um Gooch humps Axolotl. Remember that. I'm not tooting my own horn, but toot toot. You are right, I'm tooting okay. my own horn. It's okay though. <laughs> it's a good one. You're, you're entitled. Who doesn't like the word gooch? It makes people smile just saying gooch. Yeah. Right? There, and, was, there was there was one I read today. I can't remember. Man, I should pull it up. But there was one that made me laugh a lot. I can't remember what the first word was. It was like, um, uh, uh, I don't know. But the 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 H and the A were. Uh, it was the name Harry Asteroid, like like Harrison Ford, like Harry Asteroid. And I thought that's a great name for a character. <laughs> but I don't think I can take that now because someone else. That was someone else's idea. Maybe Hank Asteroid. I mean, some of these... Very clever. Very <laughs> very clever, I will say that. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly impressed. And I, I think it's really fun to have everybody kind of collaborate like in this, in this um, very small way, you know? Right. Like, um, and it gets people excited and it gets people talking to each other and... Yeah, it's fun. Yes. So we'll 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 see. I, the, I, yeah. we'll, we'll see where like it goes. Over thirty comments here. Yeah, this uh, one comes close. Grizzled hamburger afterbirth. I like that one. <laughs> so you like the gross stuff? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, no. Uh, there's one about grandma's areolas. What is it? Uh, grandma's hairy areolas. That's funny. Oh, I like this one. Gene Hackman armadillo. Well, this one's salty armadillo. Great ham again. Hard to work with. Garfield heals all. That's good. Oh, that's true. Garfield would be a cult leader. If, if Genuine human appeal. Yeah. Mm. And and the thing that also made me squeal was you commented on your own post and you did it in all caps. Yeah, of course I did. That's the best. Yeah. I was enjoying myself. This was great. This it's is so mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. A little bit of a collaboration. Oh, yes. Here's the one. It says, uh, greetings, Hank Asteroid! Exclamation point. That's my favorite so far. I'm sorry. I like well, that one. Well, well we'll see. <laughs> I don't think it has a big shelf life. We'll see. So, Ryan, do you ever take a moment to, um, like, look back, though, on the journey of all these Kickstarters? Because when I think back to the early ones, you know, you talked very openly about the idea that um, – you know that being your given your sense of humor and your 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 uh, style, you know you were like you had to come to terms earlier in your career. Like I'm not going to, you know, I'm not like a perfect fit for the big two. I don't really like to do those kind of books anyway. But like that's where the money is, and you know, and there was like like I think with a lot of of, of creators trying to make their way, there was that that question of like where is my place? Do I have a place? I need to find my place. I mean. Now, I'm sure for you, I mean, this was literally a life's journey, but but like fast forward to what we're talking about here. I mean, you had a fully funded $20 comic in 33 minutes. So like, do you take a moment to to like smile and think like, oh man, like that is like, that's how fantastic is that? Like to your point, regardless of why people backed it, like there were enough people just from your circle of influence that were absolutely giddy to back that. 
whether it was just to support you or because they're excited for more GHA or some combination of the two. But like that is quite an achievement and like quite a different place than where you were when you made your first Kickstarter. So like, do you ever like just take a moment to take a nice sip of like your, you know, your hazy IPA and like, like, damn, it's pretty cool. Like it's pretty cool where I'm at. Um, yeah, I, I'm aware of it. You know, I, I'm aware that I'm very fortunate and, um, I don't, it, it's a weird thing because I, I always was like so blown away by indie creators, like doing their own things in the eighties and nineties. Mm-hmm. And then when I wanted to be getting into comics, all I wanted to do was, you know, draw superhero stuff. And, you know, I spent years just doing superhero submissions and getting nowhere. And, uh, the idea of self publishing or self promotion was so terrifying. Um, you know, I definitely, I just wanted to draw. That's it. And so I went through years and years and years of, um, becoming friends with people that made it in comics and were working in comics. And I was working as a graphic designer at a print shop, which ended up being very helpful for me for learning how to self publish. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've lived enough of an adult life having zero success to (laughs) appreciate when I have success. Um, and I think that the journey of 8 billion genies was so bizarre and um, just like, I cannot replicate that. And so now it's a question of what is the new norm? Um, like what, what I, I, I went from having to like be a little bit of like a fun personality in order to, you know, put a lot of myself in my comics and then put a lot of myself into promoting my comics and getting them out there. Um, and I, and I basically just got to this point where I just, just kind of figured out how to do it all myself because nobody else would hire me and nobody would, um, no one would polish my stuff. Like not even for, like for me signing away all the rights or anything like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's been a really weird long journey. Um, but if you look at the Kickstarters, it's like a build. and Yeah, for sure. You know, my fans have gotten older with me. And, um, you know, I, I've had, you know, plenty of printing and shipping woes and, you know, all the things that everybody has. Um, but just kind of, um, I, don't, I don't know. I guess, I guess for me, it was just kind of letting go of the, the trying to be a commercial artist like mm-hmm. a... And I'm still like, guess, guess, guess how often I get asked to work at Marvel and DC. It's it's zero. Like I have never turned anything down. Um, which at this point I'm kind of, that's totally. I don't I don't seek it out either. But um, mm-hmm. it's just like this weird thing that I can just. I still have to figure out even when even doing a book for Image and Image is like the only, like game in town as far as I'm concerned. Like they're so wonderful there and the deal they give you and the ability to basically develop the entire book yourself and they they you know give you all the advice that you would need and they you know deal with all the distribution and the printing and promotion and stuff but it's it's um so much of it is still you have to be so self-motivated like you have to do your own editorial you have to build your own creative team and so 
um, moving from like self-publishing and like scratching together a few pennies doing that to doing image stuff, which again, like, I mean, I've done image stuff that did not sell very well. And um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's like, it's like an extension of self-publishing working with image, which is why I keep going back and forth because I've learned through tons of failure of getting someone to hire me and like me based on um, like my my house style or my ability to like draw Batman well or whatever. Um, like through that, I was like, well, I've got to like make this my own thing. And so making it my own thing is the only way that I broke into comics and it's the only like it's what I do well, and that's when I go to Image. I that's like a place that I can still do that. Um, so yeah, I, I it, there's a clear build through all of this to like a plateau, and then all of a sudden, eight billion genies happened, and now I don't know where I sit. It's <laughs> uh, it's wild. Yeah, right. well, 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 I mean that you know as we talk about, I mean Tony's on the show a lot, and, and he's he's had a similar yeah um, journey with Stray Dogs, right? Like yeah. like you know he was on the grind doing his thing, and, and he found some some reasonable commercial success, financial success at least with 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 ponies, you know, and and obviously that was definitely quote unquote life changing for him, and that it you know sort of paying the bills and then some, but it wasn't his thing, right? Like it's not obviously he didn't create the ponies, and then he's he he too had done some creator owned works of varying degrees of success or interest to the world. And then stray dogs hits and it's like, you know, this phenomenon. And, um, and, and you know, he, he, was, he's, as, as we said, he's got local man now. And it's like, you know, it's, it's this interesting question of like what comes after, like, because you, you, you probably like it, you probably don't want to go into the next thing expecting. It's probably unreasonable to expect to match whatever, when you have something go ultra magma, it's like, you have to expect some kind of retrenchment, but it's like, what does that feel like? What does it look like? You know, to what level does it go back to what what is normal? And uh, and it's a question that's hard to answer. I mean, even, you know, even Scotty with 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 I Hate Fairyland, right? Like he, you know, he's had other books subsequent to that that have been successful. But I think it's fair to say nothing has pierced the cultural zeitgeist like I Hate Fairyland. Right. And, and yeah. you know, so like it's just is an interesting thing because you I think you, it must feel great to have something that just goes absolutely wild and bananas. But then, you know, it. it Unless you're going to do like a Dave Sim service and make it go for 300 issues, it eventually ends and you move on to something else. So, um, but I like that you're taking a little time to just like digest it all. Yeah, I mean that seems I mean, healthy. The look, the book, the book. You know, I'm not going to say that it broke me down, but it was by far the hardest thing I've done in my career um, because I was I was drawing it and coloring it and. All of the drawing in that book was incredibly thought heavy. Um, there was, you know, th- th- this the way that Charles and I work is he'll he'll write a script and it's a good tight script. And then I add a bunch, um, you know, just as I like brainstorm and like little details and stuff. And then he goes back and he rewrites um, and sometimes makes pretty significant changes um, to 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 the script. Uh, in a lettering pass based on what I do. So with 8 billion genies, like because what we were doing was very complex, like the, the acting that I had to do with the, with the characters was so subtle. And, um, and then we just, once we knew it was a, like a hit, which took, you know, until issue four, honestly, um, 
we were just like, well, we're just going to make the issues as long as we want. We need them to be. And so they like issue seven was 32 story pages. And um, I was coloring it and there was no there was no uh, it was still on a monthly schedule. So um, just like working on that book and being late for like six months uh, working on like a super, super demanding hard thing that then I would have to color afterwards. It was uh, it was a lot. It was a lot. And then in, in, in success, there's a lot of pressure on like, you know, sticking to landing and especially like figuring out that final issue and just like, I don't know. It was, it was, a, it was a type of pressure that I'd never felt before mm-hmm. um, because we had so many readers and like, you know, like that, fr- that first issue over all the printings uh, sold more than a hundred thousand copies. Amazing. Just insane. Like it's awesome, man. I mean, image books sometimes do that, but it's usually like, you know, it's it's not very common or or it's like some some like well-established A-list creator, you know, like, um, yeah, I don't know. It was it was yeah. just such a such a weird experience. And now um, I needed to not do it for a while. <laughs> I mean, the last time we saw you, which uh, and I, I put song quotes because it was very short. Normally at a convention, we would uh, have plenty of time to chat you up over the weekend you know talk yeah. about life the universe everything a little baseball maybe a little a little ridiculousness yeah but uh we were you guys were at new york comic-con uh last october and as we were and it was damn hard to um even catch up with you which was great and we actually on our recap show we talked about how it was it was you know we would have loved to have gotten a chance to speak to you more but it was like really fun to see you swamped Literally with with lines wrapping around and, and that was neat to see and, and it was like we were really happy for you and um but that has to be like I'm sure it cuts two ways. Like no one's gonna you know, small violin, no one's gonna cry for you, but but like I'm sure it is obviously it's it's financially and, and, and from an ego perspective really gratifying. But at the same time I'm sure it's also very, very tiring. So um so I assume I mean, like was that um so so eight billion genies got optioned by Amazon, what in back in, in May or June of 2022 right like sometime around there yeah yeah we announced it in june okay so so new york comic-con was probably at least one of the first major cons after that news but like did did you guys do the gauntlet of like did you do a con gauntlet um there was uh, lots of other stops too that like was it like a couple months where you were just kind of going through that 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 post post amazon news gauntlet um, or was it just a few shows? Like, was was that typical of your life? The what we saw in New York, or was that just uh, a, an it was, outlier? It's just a few shows. It was. Okay. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember what the first show was after that Amazon announcement, but because um, yeah, it may have been a C2E2, C2E2 schedules. Yeah, C2E2 in August last year. I think that was the first remember. one. Um, and that and that was nuts. And that's when I learned that. Uh, where this had taken me as like a creator because i spent the whole time being silly and drawing on people's books and signing everyone's books and being excited that people were buying my book and and then just ebay exploded with all of them after the show Mm. and i was like whoa okay i can't i guess i'm not allowed to do that anymore like and that and that took um that took a lot of fun out of it for sure um and that that's actually that's when i signed up with comic sketch art because I needed I needed some 
degree of protection, uh, which is strange. And so every show that I've done since has been a madhouse and uh, like super positive and super fun. And um, but it's just like a different thing because I'm used to just sitting behind a table the entire time and like hustling and trying to be funny and trying to get people to, you know, pick up the book and actually look at the book and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, this, it just like, it's such a completely different experience. And so then, you know, then what the next show is going to be where people have already had me sign all their books. Um, I have no idea, you know, like I'm it's over now, I guess maybe. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. And like, it was also really interesting because, Doing comic shows, I just stopped bringing all of my self-published stuff because there was no point because it was just all a billion genies. It's all mm-hmm. anybody wanted. It was all uh, I couldn't I couldn't sell God hates astronauts to people. I could barely sell curse words. I could. Um, it was just like this this one thing that really connected with people, which I was super proud of. But it just changed the landscape of how I was doing my job for so long. Just, just total, total, totally strange, like experience. Um, and you know, I, I'm, I'm really proud of the book, and I think it connected the people a lot um, because of what we we're trying to say with it. And it, uh, but, but if we hadn't had that um, Amazon announcement, which we were able to get because we had a bidding war of 27 suitors. And, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. And through doing that, we were able to negotiate all sorts of stuff, like an early press release. Like, places did not want to do that because, you know, the it's so far away from the thing actually coming out. Um, but we were able to negotiate that. And we put out the first three issues, and, you know, our numbers can continued to decline our reviews were good but then when the announcement came out all of a sudden it just like exploded like all of a sudden it was worth looking at because amazon thought it was good so um which is which is what we were hoping would happen and it happened and it was great and it was just like just so weird to not have to fight for an audience um which you know like that's that's a super amazing privilege that that we got and 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 I totally get it that the big Hollywood announcement makes things, you know, gain credibility and, you know, makes people want to put eyeballs on. It makes it easier for stores to sell them. Um, yeah, like everything about the process made total sense. And I'm very fortunate with all that. It. it just was different than I had ever experienced. Yeah. So blessing and a curse. Right. Yeah. I mean, not not really a curse. There was there was all sorts of new stressors because right. of it. Right. Um, I'm not going to say that it's a curse. It just is a, um, you know, it, it new it was, experiences you had to learn to deal with. Yeah, it was new. Yeah, it was new things that I had to deal with. I had to learn to deal with a lot of people that were trying to make a lot of money off of me mm. uh, at comic shows, and uh, you know, like I, I don't like that, and no. so that took a lot of like comic shows. Like I had massive lines that like seemed to never end, and it was so thrilling, but. Also, I would still have to deal with these pockets of people that were just there to figure out how much money they could make off me. And that's yeah. like, I don't know. I'm just trying to entertain people. You know, it's just a weird. Yeah. I've just, heard, I mean, I've heard nothing but good things about comic sketch art. So, I mean, has your experience since you've worked with them helped with that? I mean, has it felt has it felt 
uh, like a positive partnership for you? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Because look, most most people that are comic artists like me, they're you know, they're they're gentle. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> they're gentle. They get pushed around pretty easily. Like you know, and a lot of people that uh, you know are are doing this to figure out how to how game the system and make as much money as they can aren't necessarily going to be. Um, you know, it's nice to have someone in the middle who can be the asshole and can enforce like, oh, you have to pay for these signatures, which, you know, is not anything that I ever wanted to do. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I had I had to, you know, I had to, like, protect myself. It was really, really strange place to be. Yeah. Well, congrats, man. Either way, I mean, it's still super cool. I mean, it's still cool to see. I mean, it's, you know. Again, I, I remember I was I was I think we were talking about this a few weeks ago randomly, but I remember you and I were we shared a cab. This is pre Uber, so we shared a cab to uh to the airport, and we were going walking through the airport, and you were telling me how you were uh that you were like gonna start doing books with Charles Soul, and like that he was like a really funny dude and stuff, and I, and I and you were like you were like pitch me on it, and I'm like oh that's interesting because like at the time I think you know Charles only you know had only done some some Marvel stuff, and it was not comedy. And you were like, no, he's actually a funny guy. Like, we really hit it off. And I remember thinking at the time, like, okay, we'll see how this goes. Like, <laughs> Charles Soldo and comedy. I don't know. Okay. You know, um, and then, you, I mean, you guys, have, have, I'm sure you've become very personal friends. But, I mean, you've been artistically collaborators now for what? I mean, how many years now? I mean, it's been, it's really long. I mean, it feels like it's been a really long time between Curse Words and this. I mean, how many years are we yeah, talking? It, Curse Words was uh, four years. And then this book was like a little over... It was almost a year and a half um, mm-hmm. of like development to finish. So, um, yeah, no, we're, we're super close friends. He's one of my closest friends and um, like an incredible collaborator. Um, you know, his brain works very um, like it works very well with my brain. Like there's some things that he's super good at that I am terrible at. And um, I think I, I get him to loosen up a lot and uh you know, a lot of the humor in that book comes from him trying to, like, entertain me and get me to laugh and, like, find things that I will think are fun to draw. So, um, yeah, like, you know, he is a lawyer, right? Like, he, he's 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 incredibly good at systems and, like, figuring out logic and figuring out, um, you know, paths for narratives and stuff. Like, it, he's got that brain that's excellent for that and that's stuff that I cannot do to save my life. But... Um, but then I, you know, I've got a degree of um, levity and finding quirk and humor in in tiny details, um, where he's more of like a big picture, what does this all mean kind of thing. And so, I think those two together work extremely well. Um, like, and, and you know, we had a great time with Curse Words, and Curse Words was successful and um, has its following, but. Um, you know, it's 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 more of like a hodgepodge of just like back and forth visual gags and ideas and like you've like silly weird characters and you know so that was like more of entertaining each other kind of book and then a billion genies was like uh all right let you know we locked down this high concept thing and then become super focused and then try and find on my end try and find a little humor in in the darkness in the seriousness and the like incredible moments of like human tragedy that the book has. So, um, yeah, no, it, it, it's a, it's a really fun working relationship and, and we'll do another book together for sure. Um, 
but yeah, I, uh, the stuff I do with him is different than the stuff I do uh, alone. And then the stuff he does with me is different than the stuff he does with other creators. So we're kind of meeting in the middle, I guess. Yeah, well, no, that's isn't great. that the definition of a, a true collaboration that mm-hmm. you both bring something to the table that um, can't be had or found anywhere else? Yeah, and, it, and oh, it's yeah, only totally. when you get together. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I and, and it's nice to see people like respond to that well. Um, you know, it's it's it, you know I've explained like our collaborative like efforts are it's a lot of back and forth. It's not it's not a finished script that I just follow all the you know, every, like, he doesn't write what characters are wearing and what's happening in the background and, Trust. you know, yeah. or, like, what season it is. Or, like, so I just, I, I think about those things, um, you know, with 8 Billion Genies, there was, there was such a passage of time that, like, a lot of his scripts were about the characters and about setting up these moments that were like important to keep moving the story along but there wasn't a lot of like what is everybody wearing here what does everybody look like what you know it's we haven't seen them in like eight months how has the bar changed and like things like that that was like constantly activating my brain so it wasn't just like another scene of people talking or scene of people talking like every scene i had to be like all right well here's this little side narrative that I'm telling about where all their clothes are coming from and how they're altering their clothes to make them into new clothes. And like, and one scene that character is wearing the other person's shirt because I don't, I don't know why maybe they swap shirts for fun. Like, <laughs> um, because they are locked down in a bar and, you know, like wearing each other's clothes and, um, you know, gaining weight, losing weight. I had, I did all sorts of little stuff, growing a beard and then a mustache and then like i did i had all these little like detailed things that you know charles was like doing all the heavy emotional and like narrative lifting and then i would do all the like color and edge work and detail work about like kind of putting in clues and hints of of what was going on in this world what we saw that wasn't in the scene you know because like as we went on, we were jumping such incredible moments in time. I would just have to put little hints of what had happened before and like come up with little ideas of, you know, uh, how things had resolved from the character's past that like maybe no one picked up on and that's fine. But like, for me, that was my, um, it required a lot of brain power, but it was fun. It was like fun to like find little background stories that I was, you know, throwing in there for color, but also just like kind of telling myself these little stories about, Mm -hmm. you know, like, like the main character, Alex wears his shirt and it's, uh, it's a, it's a Detroit Pistons bad boys shirt from like 1989. And, um, I grew up in Southeast Michigan and everybody had that shirt. And so because we said it in Michigan, um, you know, I, I thought that that was a really fun shirt to like give it some local, like color, but then that shirt itself, like because the shirt has like a basketball with a skull and crossbones on it. Then when Alex has a genie, he has a shirt that has a, basically a skull and crossbones on the shirt. So, um, like in, inadvertently, that kind of became like the image for the book. Mm-hmm. This happy little dude with a skull and crossbones. Um, and then 
the story of his shirt as it goes through, like eventually when they're traveling, he like cuts the sleeves off and then um, it starts getting holes in it. And in one of the final sequences, when you see his room, he's it's like framed and like frayed up on the wall as like a sign of his journey and stuff. So um, it's just a little stuff like that, that I have so much fun figuring out within like once Charles figures out all the hard stuff, that like really intimidates me um, narratively and character wise. And then if I can just like color around the edges, I think that stuff is super, super fun. I mean, let's be honest the, the, uh, the, in, the design of the genies was massively brilliant because like it's those, I mean, it, it's this like iconic, almost graphic art image, right. That can be tweaked a little bit for each genie, but like it's, it's almost it's iconic right it's like and it just sticks out and i just i think that that like your aesthetic for designing that gene the genies was just you know a stroke of genius because it just it's emblazoned in people's minds right if you read the book like what no matter how much people retain 10 years from now about the story or not they'll remember the genies like without question you know like so kudos thank you thank you yeah i um i mean that's that's one of the that was one of the big moments of figuring out what the hell the book was going to be. And, and if you like how it was going to look and feel, um, because the original concept was just like a genie. And so it was just like, how do I have the the blue shirtless? Like Will, yeah. Will Smith and the blue with blue skin. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. And like, how, if everybody has one, how do I draw a scene with eight people when they all have their genies? Like, how do I fit that all in frame? And so, um, you know, uh, like a lot of thought went into it. Um, and I did a lot of bad, completely off drawings that I was just like immediately knew that was wrong. Um, but then it just came down to like, if they're going to, if they're going to be all over the place, they've got to be small and they've got to be simple. And then, um, from that, I really wanted to develop a like high contrast so that they felt like they didn't belong, that they were otherworldly. And so, um, that's where he started leaning towards like, uh, 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 you know, the cosmic kind of Starfield thing. Um, and then, uh, like finally just kind of figuring out that like, if, if you have this little dude who wants you to trust him or her with your greatest inner deeper wish, uh, like they need to become, they need to be friendly and they need to be familiar. And so, um, like they, they want to, they want to, all they want is for you to wish. And so you have to be able to trust this little thing with your deepest inner desire. And so that went into like, all right, well, they, they look like you and they're friendly and they're, they're, you know, cartoon dudes and they're small. Cause we're going to have to, I'm going to have to draw a bunch of them in each panel. And so like all of those elements kind of combined to just, me kind of ripping off Adventure Time little dudes um, and then, you know, uh, like setting setting the entire structure of the way the book looked based around them and the logo, um, you know, the, the type of stuff where it's where I, where I think about starting a new book. I was like, oh, I got to figure out the look, <laughs> I gotta figure out that I got to figure out the logo. I got to figure out how it's going to visually like feel like starting from scratch and. You know, that's the kind of creative work where you can't just be like, oh, yeah, I'll do A, B and C. It's the kind of stuff where you have to like search and search and search 
um, and be like, I'll pull a little from over here and a little from over here and a little from over here. And I've never done a, a style that looks like the style this other person did in this book and then trying to make it my own kind of thing. So, um, you know, that, 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 that kind of creativity through like lots of exploration is, is super daunting about finding a new or to working on a new series. But like when you're in it and like when I was working on eight billion genies, it's like I drawing those genies was so fun and so easy. And so like, that's where I got to act and I got to cartoon and, um, there were, there was, there was moments in the script where Charles would describe what the genies were doing, but usually that was my little playground for making little narratives. Um, like uh, mo- there's a lot of sequences of the genies where there's very important character work that, that Charles has written. And then I'm just kind of playing around the edges with what the silly genies are doing in the background and like making my own little story, um, which I, I, when I make comics, I always make them to be understood uh, without words so that they like the, the pictures can tell you like the story from beginning, middle and end without the words. So when I was playing around with the genies, I was doing that a lot where I was like trying to tell a story in the background of, you know, five, six consecutive panels with what the genie was doing, uh, whether it's like making a drink and sharing a drink with another genie. And then the genie throws up and like is drunk. And, um, you know, there's, there's one scene where Alex is telling this really important story and his genie sitting next to him. And I just kind of made it over the, the, course of the page the genie is doing something you can't really tell what he's doing but he's focusing on alex and then in the final panel he just holds up this drawing that he did of alex that he was just like working on while alex was telling the story and it's of course it's like a bad drawing but like um that 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 brought me like such entertainment and such joy (laughs) you know like uh like oh yeah this is just a really sad story this man is telling in a bar and then in the background like it's just like a genie who decided that it would be fun for him to try and do a drawing of the the human he's connected to so yeah um yeah fun stuff the preliminary stuff that you were talking about on a on a series that's a lot like the first couple days of playing an rpg right oh yeah it, it, it's totally. all the super necessary stuff that you need to invest total concentration and, and energy into and if you don't have the insight how to do it correctly in what order it could very well impact negatively the series forever right it mm-hmm. could cause it not to be successful i.e you could die in the rpg um you know it, it could you could buff up very quickly and get a bunch of of stats readers and then if if you don't have everything stacked perfectly you know then it's not going to something will happen and i just it just amazes me how much of of making art is you know making your grunts dig in 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 warcraft right a, a lot mm-hmm. a lot of the the mind power and the the creative energy is just building you know a lumber mill <laughs> in order yeah. to get to get your resources up it sounds stupid but it's very similar it it is and uh, a thing that i like to do in my comics is i put details in that i don't know the story behind and so that can give something to explain later um you know well you're smarter than you need to be well you, i mean you really are that gives, <laughs> that gives you that gives you a chance to like um 
a little bit of mystery that you don't necessarily have to explain. Oh, but yeah, like, if, totally. If later, you might need a mystery. And so putting in a little detail that is not fully fleshed out and then later it's like, well, this is why, you know, I have this scar. Or this is, you know, why I wear this shirt or jacket or something like that. Um, I think that that's always like just throwing out little hints and little details and and and. And, and Charles and I have absolutely, you know, had moments in this in Curse Words and in Eight Billion Genies where I threw in some details that were then later used as actual story moments, like that, you know, at the time didn't mean anything, but then they served the purpose, uh, like narratively later, um, and to like make a connection. So, um, I don't know. I I always think about Lost. I think about Lost all the time, and how exciting it was and how much it fell apart once mysteries were solved. Um, exactly. And so the question yep. is how to, how to not be lost and like how, how to come in so heavy and so exciting and have so much mystery. Um, and then finding something worthwhile to explore after you've understood the mystery. Um, and that right. show, you know, it didn't really work out, but that's uh, random that you brought that up. Have you read the vanity fair article? No, it came out this week. No, it's weird that you bring it up. Vanity Fair ran a whole like their main article this week was about Lost and the uh, the the toxic environment and and how it how it all came apart as as the show went on. So that's as a as a professed Lost fan, you need to get on the interwebs and read that. I read it this week and I was like, I think a lot of the reasons why Lost kind of went to the toilet in the end is they didn't have the answers going yeah on. they didn't have the answer yeah and to be fair to be fully transparent this article is more about the uh like the interpersonal dynamics oh. like where they uh uh like harold perrineau and uh daniel day kim and a few others say basically it became very much like racist huh? or like the, the white yeah like the white the white characters and actors were getting all the great uh, uh attention and scripts and yeah. the people of color were basically being you know redshirted and being put to the background and it was really frustrating and like i guess they they blame it part of it and on the fact that like you know there's that whole friends model where all the six friends actors agreed to always go back to ask for more money together and they never broke ranks and when lost became a mega hit and it was time to get new deals that was the agreement but then they balked and like suddenly um matthew fox and um evangeline lily yeah like that they got massive raises and like the people of color got like no raises <laughs> and and harold perrineau was like i was out i'm like all right well and but there was so there's a lot more to it but but it also does of course get into the 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 um what we're alluding to which is the script part of it where it just was just un, un, untethered and 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 they also rotated writers like writers would come and go and mm-hmm. so yeah it was just it just was it unraveled i mean um yeah yeah for sure for sure daniel day kim is so handsome though he is super handsome. <laughs> he is. He's very so, handsome. So Ryan, I mean, I, I we've had enough creators on that have had stuff optioned that I know that you probably can't say much in the sense that, like, you can't say anything that's already not publicly out there. Um, but like, so rather than ask you like, when's it going to be a show? Like, I guess what I'm more interested in, since hopefully you can talk about this, is like, what's the experience like? You know, just in terms of like functionally, like you, you guys, like you said, you had a, a bidding war, which is awesome, and then you, you, you obviously signed a deal, and presumably bidding war meant great economics and optionality for you guys, which is awesome. But like, um, to whatever extent you're right, you're able to comment on it. Um, like, do like, is, is it a black box from there? Like you, you, you hand it off and then what comes of it? Like you have no 
touch touchstones too? Do you have some? Do you get like updates through an agent? Like, I'm just curious. Like, what again? And obviously, only only comment on what you're comfortable or think you can comment. But like, what's the process like? Like, in terms of once you have something optioned for you know big doings, like like like, is it just a vortex for you to avoid until you hear public announcements, or are you much more aware of the process step by step? But you just are sworn to secrecy. Um, I, Charles and I are very involved. Um, okay. In all all the decision making, um, we are, we are not working on we are not involved in writing in any way. Um, we are gonna let someone else who knows how to write a movie or a show do that. Um, you know, with the writer strike, I don't think much is moving forward right now on on it, which is um, you know it is what it is. Uh, but. Uh, you know, we we email and have you know video chats with all the the basically the heads of the Amazon studios, um, and we you know they're all wonderful people and they all seem to be extremely good at their jobs and are like a delight to talk to. And so we had many conversations. Like you know, we had twenty seven suitors. And it, you know, the bidding war lasted like over a month of just constant Zoom chats with, um, you know, Hollywood people and and you know, directors and writers and and you know, all all sorts of uh, fancy executives and stuff. And um, honestly, like when we were narrowing it down, like Amazon was uh, offered us amazing an amazing deal, but they also had the people working there were wonderful and they were just like. They got it. They had a vision for it. They understood what we were doing. Um, and, and some of the other places absolutely did too. Um, but, you know, a- Amazon gave us a great deal and they worked with us, you know, like like that, the, the press release, which, um, you know, as I said, was like beyond significant for getting people to read our book and to pay attention. And it was just like, so, so like that was just the switch flipped when that came out. Um, you know, and so, uh, like so far it's, it's just been nothing but great. And so they ask us, what do you think about this talent or this talent or this creative being involved? And, um, and then, you know, once it finally goes into production, like, you know, their, their plan is to do like a whole universe of storytelling with a with a starting with a feature film that adapts our book. Um, and then uh, probably a TV series as well that expands on the concept and then maybe more and merchandise and all this stuff. Wow. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 beyond life changing and significant. And but um you know, we've had curse words option multiple times and nothing really happens and it does not seem positive. And everybody I know has books that have been optioned and never get anywhere and never get any traction. But 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 the investment that Amazon made was was significant. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I think the odds of this being a movie are very good, which is strange to say because nothing gets made in hollywood so um <laughs> um you know maybe i mean maybe nothing will happen but like they're moving forward they're working on it they're attaching creative and it's um it's all super thrilling and exciting and so charles and i are executive producers uh, again we're not writing it we're not 
you know, going to be in a writer's room or anything, but, but we do, I do get input on genie design, which was important to me. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, and, and we get to make our own merch based on the comic, which was something that we retained the rights to. So we're talking about various merchandising things for, um, stuff related to the comic, which is super fun as well. That's fantastic. Sweet. I can't wait to see the, the genies translate into plastic. Yeah, that would be really cool. Yes, it um, would. Yeah, it it will it will. Uh, man, it's one of those things where I would love to fast forward and see how this all shakes out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I just I just want to know how this is all going to shake out, and uh, and we have some pretty good momentum until the strike. So, um, you know, I I hope everything ends well for everyone in that situation, but I hope it doesn't take a long time. Yeah, yeah, that's a whole situation, man. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's that the the ship again. Yeah, that's crazy. Jason has the Titanic in his backyard. It, it, it bubbles to the surface. Every <laughs> well, it's his while. Titanic, so yeah. Right, right. It's okay. The first half of the show is my children all having massive freakouts about bedtime. So. Oh, but that was awesome though. That like I knew I heard the little pitter patter of feet. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> you ever been on a cruise? No. It's a random question. No, well, I'm just yeah. thinking of, of the Titanic. You've never been on a cruise, Ryan? No, I've never been on a cruise. Don't bother. It's terrible. Well, it's not. No, number one, it's not terrible. But um, if you love to eat and drink, then a cruise is wonderful because that's Ryan and his wife are both paper thin, so they. Clearly I don't know. Like to eat I know. Drink. <laughs> But, I, I would. I was pretty apathetic on, on the topic of of cruises. Like I've been to a good number before this last one, but the last one was a themed cruise. Like there was a, an agenda. That's those are the ones you want to go on because it's all fun and there's things to do and people to to listen to. And yes, it's it's uh, like a themed cruise is like maybe an '80s cruise. You know, '80s music or oh no? I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't particularly like eighties music, but in my head. I, I I think you just hate everything. Like I, to me, a cruise is like the gathering of the juggalos. Like, yeah, that, yeah. I would, ah. I would I would love to float through it undetected as a ghost to observe it, um, but I don't want to be there. That is exactly right. Yes, one hundred thousand guests, maybe seventeen teeth. So. <laughs> I was one and done on a cruise. Our, our mother, my mother-in-law, wanted to go on a cruise. So we went on a cruise, and the wood, the wood family was like, "We're we're good, <laughs> we're good." One once was enough. Thanks. <laughs> okay. You see, there was a, recently a story about this idiot, um, and I, I don't use the term loosely, who uh, thought it would be fun to just jump off the side of the boat at night. Hmm. Thinking that he'll be, you know, I'll just swim around, I'll be okay, and the boat will just wait for me. Boat did not wait for him, and he was uh, lost at sea. Dude, I mean, that happens more than you realize. My my uh, my buddy, uh, aka the Kennedys, uh, his his sister's fiance, they were on a cruise to celebrate her engagement, and he fell off the boat and died. <laughs> well, but see I, that I, that wasn't intentional though. This idiot jumped off the. Oh, no, true. No, that's true. But either way, though, like, literally, it was like one of those things where, like, they're like, oh, where is he? What? Oh, can you find him? Oh, he fell off the side and is gone forever. Like, it was like, 
Okay. Like, yeah, pretty crazy. I, I saw a headline today that, or, or yesterday, um, between 2009 and I think 2019, of the 212 reported overboard incidents, less than 50 were, were rescued. Hmm. There you go. So yeah, should sense. you go on a cruise, Ryan Brownie, don't fall off. You know how hard it must be to <laughs> stop a cruise ship and throw it in reverse? Yeah. Well, they don't. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that yeah. there, there isn't a reverse. It's yeah. a wide turn. You're either going to be, uh, you're either going to drown, you're going to be food. And let's be honest, right? I mean, if you're falling off of a boat, you're either probably intoxicated or just given the demographics of cruise goer, probably not in the best of shape. Yep. And uh, even if you are, like, you're frigid, frigid cold water with, like, very, very big waves, it, it's just a bad situation. You are such a dick. Let's just, just burn it to the ground. <laughs> yeah. Give them the demographics of the, the cruise goers. Like, well, you, you, you've you been on a lot of cruises, have you not? Yes, I have. And, and for every uh, hirsute uh, fat person, there is um, an equal number of, of people that are in shape. So I, I would Fair, go... but you need to be an extremely good swimmer to survive in the middle oh, of the you're ocean. Oh, you're dead. Even like, even no, like you're an dead. hour. You're yeah, dead. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're I dead. Mean, how, long, how long do you think you could last? In, a, in like, the ocean? Like in the, in mid, the, like the deep sea? Yeah, but like, so we're talking salt water, so you're, you know... I, no, I mean, an, an hour would be a triumph. I would last about so? three seconds. I would shit my heart out. Because I, oh, I right yeah the panic because I think like you yeah. panic and then maybe you could get yourself to just float but like like you said you the 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 salt water you'd start you'd still be panicked if you know and I think if you went for more than like ten fifteen minutes it would feel like hours because no, no one's gonna rescue you and yeah, yeah I don't know man like I'd I think be food but like it, yeah if you did like yeah. a dead man's float and just like you know on your on your chest and just like picking your head up slowly and breathing yeah you know like. Well, that would require, like, right, but that would require, like, a level of mental rigor, like, in that situation right. that I don't think I'd okay. have. I'd be so like, I'm then, done, then I'm done, you, like, I'm if, out. If it was, if it was like, a, a, if it was just, like, an Olympic competition, like, how long can you, can you exist in the ocean? Oh, where, like, you so, knew going in, like, you really probably weren't going to die. It was just, like, how far could you last? Yeah, like, there there is a man with a life preserver, like, oh, sitting right next to you. I don't know. I still went to it. I don't know. I still, I mean, I don't well, think as long as... How long do you think you could last? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, there I are... I think I'd probably be able to survive longer, like, for some reason, during during daylight. Like, if it's nighttime yeah. and dark, then then I'm, I'm just, like, I'm shutting down. No, there was a great movie. I can't remember the name of it right now, but it was about... It was a shark movie, kind of, but it was, like... Look, Blake they, Lively? Yeah, yeah. They went overboard, and they were floating in the water, and it was so fucked up, because, like... They're just floating in the water in the dark, and like it's you know how awful that would be, and how cold it gets, and then and then they get and then they get eaten by sharks. She's cute. Spoiler alert: they get eaten by sharks. But it's like it's like a pretty terrible way to go because you're in a state of panic the entire time, and then eventually you do die. So it's like okay. So I'm wondering if if they they do eat you, they probably bite you and then drag you down. So you probably lose. You're either going to die of of, of you're either going to drown, or blood loss. blood loss while you're drowning. So it's oh, not I think you just drown. I think you just get pulled down and drown. Right? It's like, yeah. But what if they like swim and chew that, at the same time? All the people time? that fall to death die of heart attacks. You know, some of them uh, die of heart attacks on the way down. You know, yeah. if it's a long. I mean, fall. if you were in the deep sea and a shark was pulling you, I think you would you would likely drown, right? Because they would be pulling you. 
with such force underwater, you just and you'd be panicked. So you, the water would just yeah. fill your lungs. You'd be out. Yeah. Yeah. I would. Yeah. I would suck the water in to drown faster. Yeah, yeah. I would. That's I would, one of the worst would, ways to go. I actually think that is one of the worst ways to go is drowning. Oh hell yeah! Yeah, that's pretty bad. On that pleasant note, that's nope, nice nobody ever choked and was like, "Wow, let's do that again." I, I, I feel, I feel like I could talk to, I could talk the shark down. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know? it's not Jabberjaw. But there's more than one shark, though. There's lots of sharks. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You'd be and dealing with lots of different is, egos. You, you do is you got to play the sharks against each other, and then the sharks start fighting each other, and then you swim away. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't think they're that. They're, I, I would, more, I would try more instinctive forces of nature than that. <laughs> I would definitely try and win over the hammerhead guy, hammerhead shark first. Oh, because of number one, he doesn't look like all the other ones, so they obviously make fun of him. Oh, of so, course. So he's vulnerable to begin with, and I think he would come over to my side, mm. right? Yeah. And then you're just like, yeah, that great white he called your mother a whore, and so then they would fight, and they would start bleeding, and all the other sharks would go crazy because of the blood, and you could like hopefully swim away yeah now with all this said it is very much on my bucket list to do a shark cage dive oh stop no way uh-uh no way i can't i can't even think about it you're, you're giving I would, me the odds I, mean, I would no. love to do that that would be <clears throat> super exciting no that's ridiculous you'd probably have a better chance of talking the shark down if you were in a safe cage yeah 100 percent. yeah yeah and he was like no i'm just gonna eat you and you're like but seriously how are you how are you? And then you could just get into it with them, and they wouldn't you have, just have a moment. Eat you. Yeah, yeah you uh-huh. a moment. and they'd be like, "No one's ever asked me how I'm doing." And then you would just go. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> try sometimes. People, people love to talk about um, the problems I have. You just and listen. I, this should I, be sharks this should be the next man. This should be your next Kickstarter. This should be the the, the last thing to unlock. Okay. You going in a shark cage trying to talk a shark down? Well, he's already not brushing his teeth, so yeah, I, I think you need to rethink yeah, that's this. One of them. Yep. Give me an idea for a stretch goal. Go. Um, oh, well, let me. I'll give you a little bit of a backstory. Okay. Okay. Give me an idea of a stretch goal. Uh huh. Keeping in mind that whatever it is. I have to produce one and mail one to every single person that bought the comic. Right. So if it's something that costs $5 and I have to produce and ship 500 of them, uh, or if it's something that's large that doesn't fit in the box of the comic, that's probably probably not a good idea. Okay. Mm. Uh, stretch goal. You will cut up and mail each uh, backer a one inch square of your worn underwear. Again. See, that's going to cost okay. you nothing. It's good thinking. I like the thinking because it doesn't make the package heavier. No, it costs uh, you nothing. Have. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's all right. That's all right. I'll think that, about that. One. It would have to be boxers and a lively, yeah. a lively print. <laughs> right. We just don't want gray or black. It has to have some kind of print on it. It's just, uh, I, I mean, my underwear. How just, about you'll design a pixelated NFT in the visage of your choice for anyone that? Uh, why? Because again, like it wouldn't have, wouldn't cost you wouldn't have to ship it. You yeah, but just... it's an NFT, so he that would turn a good number of people away from him. I think NFT stands for "Nah, fuck that." Yep. Right. Ah. Yep. 
uh, I mean, digital stuff is like the best, right? Because that's my time putting it together. I mean, I have no interest in NFTs. They don't do anything for me, but you know how I am with ephemera. I could care less about ephemera generally. So yeah, but like stretch goals don't need to have like a collectible value as much as they just make the experience, you know, deeper. You get it's really weird, like. I have to tell you, like, how many times I've done a Kickstarter or bought original art from someone, and, you know, they they mail you the stuff, and it's great, and then, like, they throw in things, and I know that, like, it's all gravy, and it's very thoughtful, like, you're throwing extras, it's cool, mm. but I'm so often, like, struck with the, what the fuck am I going to do with this? <laughs> like, because I'm like, yep. I don't, I'm not, I don't want to keep it, but, like, it feels bad to throw it out, like, they produced it, it cost them money, they sent it to me as, like, an extra, but I don't have any interest in having it and it's it's always this weird it almost feels like i'm being burdened like yeah. when i like sent like bookmarks and buttons and stickers and it's like i don't have need for any of these things like yeah, I, didn't. I i always throw it away i always throw it away but yeah i you know some people like them and you know having more physical value is is like it's a nice nice thing to get like a meteor package but i think the the stuff that's significant and fun is just like the behind the scenes stuff, the digital stuff, like I'm going to end up doing, you know, tons and tons and tons of drawings for this comic or for the Kickstarter. And so, you know, one of the stretch goals is you get a sketchbook of all those drawings. So when I'm done with all of them, I'm just going to give you a PDF. Yeah, no, that's super fun. I like that. You know, like stuff like that. So if you, if you don't care about it, you don't have to open the linked file. Yeah. Um, but if you do care about like getting the script and like, seeing the different stages of development and stuff like it's like i i, I like to think of them more as like bonus features mm-hmm. um, you know behind the scenes stuff and it's not for everyone but the people that like it really like find value in it yeah um i have another well, idea. i think that oh go ahead here condiment handprints ketchup mustard mayonnaise get buy a stack of of cheap ass comic backer boards don't have to be acid free and just do a condiment handprint on on a, on a backing board. <laughs> All right, great. It's like a pro, it's like a little art project as well. Yeah, right? now, you don't have to make it into a turkey. Just this is Ryan Brown's handprint in mustard. I huh. man, I I love the arts and crafts stuff. Right. I, I, I had uh, on the curse words omnibus. One of the levels was like the priceless uh, jewels edition, and I got all these adhesive gems that were just you know like little kid gems, and I stuck them all over the book. And then he bedazzled uh, it basically. I bedazzled it. Yeah. And then I bought library cards and like a library card like adhesive holder for the right, inside yeah. of the book and I aged them in like tea and then I burned them and then I wrote on them the Matt Kitten like, move. He he does that a lot. Yeah, and I, I wrote on them uh the library card like a list of famous like magic users who had checked out the book beforehand. And I like I had a ton of fun with that project and um and then I think most of the gems just kind of fell off in shipping. But still, it was pretty fun. Yeah, hands-on. But yeah. I don't want you to have to do all that work because that was probably a significant amount of your time. Just it's significant. I'm, I, I'm, doing, I'm doing one for this new Kickstarter that's called like the um, God Hates Billion Genie Knots edition. And I'm... 
I have a lot of the local comic store day sketch cover, 8 billion genies. So I'm just tearing the sketch. I'm like carefully taking the sketch cover off. I'm doing a God, his astronaut drawing on it. And then I'm using a long arm stapler to staple it onto a copy of the new God, his astronauts book. So it's like, it's like a weird cross promotion, um, shameless, uh, uh, thing to make the book have more value. (laughs) It's very smart. Very Uh, smart. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and those, I'm 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 doing fifty of those, and I'm I I am looking forward to that. Like I like I like the arts and crafts uh, projects with mm-hmm. it. And again, like that's not anything you can do if you go through the direct market and solicit a diamond or whatever. Like that's not a thing. Oh, you're dating yourself. Keep talking about diamond. Diamond. Diamond's dead, man. Like <laughs> especially for the image. Image. Image is straight lunar now. Man, I know. Well, I just I you know I have no insider info beyond what. You know, image told all the creators and basically told everyone else. Um, but I was just thinking, like, damn, how do you freight all of those books? Like all the Walking Dead trades alone. How do you freight those from Diamond to Lunar? And how many trucks? How expensive? Like, that's that's such a wild decision. Um, to just like. Books are I I, I I you know I have books and freight and shipping on the brain because I self-publish but like how the hell are they gonna get all those books there? <laughs> well, I, I I mean I could be wrong, but I assumed because Skybound is such a mass. I mean Skybound is worth more than Image, like as a company by itself. So I assume Skybound like handles their own like their own warehousing of fulfillment, don't they? Or, or no? I have no idea. Yeah, I just figured they did. I mean they raised they raised hundreds of millions of dollars. In capital in the last year, or so I'd assume maybe he has got a that genie. shit on lock. He's a genie. Yeah, right. Yep. I got to say, like, it's interesting. You know, we've talked a lot over the years about, like, the three of us about Kickstarter, and you know, there's obviously it's matured, and there's lots of different ways to go about it. But I mean, I do genuinely appreciate a thing like what you're doing, where you are trying to throw lots of interesting things in it to make it feel like worthwhile, but also it's something that that is at least on some level, not something that like would be easily solicited through previews. Um, you know, because I mean, it seems like the, the, the most common model now, at least with the stuff that gets funded is, you know, we're going to ask you to fund it and then you're going to fund it. And then it's going to be in previews the next month for cheaper than what you just paid for. it. (laughs) And like, I'll, I mean, I fully acknowledge I have backed lots of things that fit that bill, but I did get to a point where I'm like, why am I doing that? Like, like it was one thing when I thought like, Oh, these are really interesting products that I don't know. It'll ever see the light of day if I don't back it. So I'm going to, I'm going to back it. Cause I'd like to see it. But like, now it's like, like there's the, there's the, the new megalith thing. Like, you know, the, like, the, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and listen, I mean, I, you know, I love Matt Kinn. He's one of my favorite creators. So like, I'm, I'm super happy for him. Like it's crazy. This, but, but it's weird to me. Like, like why I just, it is, I struggle with the logic of why someone is paying $125 for a hardcover that they will absolutely be able to get like unlimited quantity for $75 in previews in a few months. Like, yeah. it's not like this isn't going to happen if they didn't back it. So it's like, it's just, weird. it's just that that's the part I don't understand. So at least like with something like yours, it's like, no, no, like this is cool. Or, you know, our, um, you know, we, we, we were big, we were big fans of the, the Tales to Enlighten anthology. And so when the second anthology came out, it was much more expensive. It was much larger. And, um, but it was like, I'll back that in a second because sure, like, cause it's not going to, it like, that's, that probably isn't going to exist if it doesn't get funded, you know, like, and, and so, and I want it, but, but 
a lot of the campaigns these days are so different. It's almost like these publishers are basically just pre-set. I mean, well, it's not it's not like they are. They actually are just pre-selling. They're just taking the cost. They're putting cost certainty into their models. It's like they know for a fact that they've covered their production costs and then everything else is gravy. And yeah. uh, it just fascinates me that like as a fan, why you'd want to buy into that calculus. Because like um, the book, the book's yeah. going to happen anyway. Like it's absolutely right. going to happen. I mean, some of that stuff is they don't tell you. And then some of it is maybe you hope to get it early, but then some of these Kickstarters have completely failed with that. And they've gotten to the direct market before Kickstarter backers. Um, some of it is just like, oh, I can add on, have some personal creator touch. Um, you know, like I, I've, I've never done it that way with, with the, with the God of on the bus, uh, the hardcover. I, you know, Charles and I asked if they wanted to do, if this was during the pandemic, asked if they wanted to do a God Hates Astronauts or a Curse Words hardcover omnibus. Right. Um, and I asked about doing a God Hates Astronauts one, and they said no to both um, because we were in such a weird economic space. And, you know, those are tough books to make money on in the direct market, especially like expensive omnibuses like they get damaged all the time and then they can't be sold and they get returned and like there's there's just it's a difficult it's a difficult like the price point is so high like stores don't want to have many on hand all these different things so so that's why we did the curse words on this we took this image book and then we did it um did a kickstarter for the the hardcover and then we sold through the entire thing and so then image was like um we, we had you know comics landscape was more secure and 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 you know the pandemic wasn't as crippling and so they wanted to do their own edition and so in that edition we just put a different cover on it but if you back the kickstarter you got that hardcover about a year before the image edition actually came out um and then with god hates astronauts they you know it was the same thing that they didn't want to do it but then the kickstarter did so well that I, you know, I said, are you interested in, in, in doing a version? And they said, we'd do a soft cover. Um, and I said, well, I haven't printed it yet. So, like, do you want to, we could do the soft cover at the same time and it would save a bunch of money. So they basically just took took the all the same interior pages and then just put a soft cover on it. And so my Kickstarter backers got the Kickstarter one that came with a PDF and came with all the stretch goals and all the weird little, you know, paraphernalia that I packed with it and all the fun little value stuff. But then you know, like, I don't know, four, five months later, you could buy the soft cover at stores um, for cheaper than the hardcover. Um, but I, I really, like, made sure that what you were getting had so much more value. And, you know, it, it it's, it's this weird thing with a Kickstarter where it's really awesome to sell directly to fans and so that you don't have all these other people taking their chunk out. But the scope of of eyeballs and readers is so much greater if you go through the direct market um that it's just like i mean look this current god is astronauts issue i think i've sold under 500 copies of this kickstarter and i'm doing pretty well if i sold 500 copies of it through the direct market it would it they would cancel it and they wouldn't even print it right like so um it's just like a weird different economic so like i know that some projects make more sense for me to pitch them to Eric Stevenson and some projects make more sense for me to make it an art project and a Kickstarter and a direct the fan kind of thing. And I mean, 
I don't know. Like I, it's it's if you look at the board game world, that basically a board game does not come out that is not kickstarted, and like every publisher does kickstarters, and so you saw when like board games got really popular, all these board game stores opened, and then they all folded really fast because it turned out that you know it's so expensive to have all these games and all this inventory and they keep it in stock but then all the diehard fans were all getting it through kickstarter because on the kickstarter you could have the expansion and the wooden tokens and the metal figures and all this stuff so like it just expanded to stores and then immediately contracted and then hyper focused on Kickstarter, like board games are all bought through Kickstarter, even though they have publishers and they have, you know, large distribution companies and all that stuff. Um, It just became like that was the pre-order model, um, which, you know, it is it is is the kind of thing that I think a lot of those, though, they try to build in like extra value or you get it before we go to distribution. um, You know, I I don't know. It's a. I I feel like I'm always walking in the fine line of figuring out how I haven't thought of this all the way through and then pissing someone off because they feel slighted. Um, <laughs> you know, like even on this current Kickstarter, within the first like 20 minutes, someone messaged me about how they were passing on it because I didn't order, I didn't have enough early bird backer levels oh. and, and I should have more early bird backer levels because that's how Kickstarters function. And, and thanks, but no thanks. And I was just like, oh, oh well. Well, you can't I'm let. I'm just trying yeah. to make a comic, man. Like I don't yeah, know. Yeah, you can't go, let like the, something else. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> someone created eight, eight projects. I'm pretty yeah, sure yeah, that's yeah. not how Kickstarter works. All right, but thanks. How many of you yeah, created it? it? Yeah, if yes. you wanted the early bird uh, specials, you would have got there earlier. I got, yeah. I got one. Yeah, same. Yeah, yeah, same. yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. when, but yeah. whatever. I actually, I actually offered a, a decent chunk, and um, yeah. You know, like you can do the math pretty simply about all the money I did not make by yes. offering <laughs> right, the right. quantities at the you know at the different discounted levels. You know, yep. yeah, so, for sure. How about yeah. this? Is egregious. Uh, I recently paid thirty dollars for a single issue, three ninety nine cover price that I also ordered through previews. Why? Why would I do that? Well, because it's Fred Perry. And it's Gold Digger. And for his 300th issue, he did a Kickstarter for a cheetah print cover that you could only get right. through Kick. And I was like, hell yeah. I've been. You know, I've- what's interesting, Vince, about that is that, uh, and it kind of segues into one of the things I wanted to ask Brian about, but, but what you just said is interesting to me because you, I mean, I know you, so you don't give two shits about the collectability of variant covers. Like it's, it's literally. Yeah. In fact, even though that DAP, you and I, like our collection, our collecting habits aren't like always fully aligned in what we're interested in. Like we all do share a complete lack of interest in the economics of variant covers. Like I know yes. like DAP yeah. will pick up you, you or DAP will go to the, the store on Wednesdays and pick up like a variant if you like it, but it's generally because it's the same price. Like you're not like, yo, right. I'm going to buy this chase variant for 50 bucks. Oh, hell no. Or to DC for the cardstock. For right. But, but yeah. what I'm saying is it's interesting that you paid 30 bucks for that cheated just because you liked it and because you want to support Fred Perry for years and years and years of entertainment, right. which is cool. It's almost like a tip. Yes. But like, I'm wondering how many people, probably the vast majority of people that bought that cheetah cover are buying because they're like, oh shit, 
this is a limited edition variant is going to be worth some money, right? Like, I, I don't think a, a Fred Perry no. issue is going to be worth okay. any money. <laughs> really, yeah. well, not not significant well, okay. money. Yeah. Oh well, well, but but so it, tying it back to Ryan, like Ryan, obviously when we saw you in New York, you had some kind of like gobsmackingly expensive variant that was selling like hotcakes. I forget mm-hmm. the details because I'm not a variant person, but like as someone who's been in the comics world for a long time and, and done a million conventions, like you said, but it was a different vibe. Did you find yourself like shocked and awed? And, and are, I assume you're much more educated now as to the collectible variant market than you ever were before. Like, I know you've always done variants for your stuff, like had fun with it. Like, but, but like that's different. I think than the, we're going to put these variants out and they're chase variants and people are going to buy them and slab them and get them signed because they think they're going to be worth insane amounts of money. Like you've gotten a window into that now. Like, so did it freak you out? Like, were you completely taken aback by it? Or were you like, you know, you've been around a block enough that you knew, you knew the vibe. You just never had personally experienced. And I'm just curious, like what you thought of it. Cause to me, like of all the, of all the avenues of, of, of comic fandom, whether it be collecting art or, you know, crowdfunding or indie comics or big like the thing that the three of us are the least connected to that is still a significant part of the industry is like collectible variants which is a huge part of like keeping the direct market alive these days so i'm just wondering like what what is your been your experience with it obviously obviously it's been i'm sure financially beneficial to you but like did it did it wig you out the magnitude of it are you are you like do you feel savvier about it do you sort of feel weird about it i'm just curious um, it was it was pretty mind blowing um, to see the levels it would go to. Um, like we had uh, we had some retailer variants for issue one that I just you know sold for like five dollars a piece for fun, and then they were going for up to like six hundred dollars on Jesus on eBay. Christ. Like after after our you know, after our press release, oh, right? God. And so. Yeah. That taught me a lesson, and so I, um, I mean, I can tell you a lot of horror stories uh, off, <laughs> off right, the right. recording, mm-hmm. um, but but there but there there are different levels of intensity to 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 those people, and um, there are some people who really enjoy the collecting aspect of it, and those people are super fun. And you know, you have an expensive variant, and a person's really excited to get it, and uh, you know, it's gonna go up on their wall. Like people would tell me a lot that they get it slabbed and like hang the slabs on their wall and stuff. And like that's that's a person that like they they might read the comic, they they possibly read the comic, but like a lot of the fun is the collecting and like they're treating it like like a trading card, um, mm-hmm. which which I totally get and I totally get the fun of it, but then then on the like the other side of it is the people that come and demand to see a stack of everyone that we have and like go through them and stand at oh, my table and check yeah. all the corners and like and 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 like have no intention of ever reading any comic books and are just there because this is their NFT. This is their Bitcoin. This is their, this is their finding an inefficiency in the market and exploiting Mm -hmm. it and like making a living flipping things. And those people have their value and they, you know, they do all these weird variants and they, they, they bring money and attention into creators and books, but like, it's a whole, like I got to learn a lot about the whatnot crowd and like the, the intensity 
and the hostility <laughs> from some of those from some of the people in that in that sphere was just like crazy and it honestly killed a lot of the the joy towards the end um of just like man i'm just trying to make a comic and just people are are trying to figure out every angle to make as much money off of it as they can and and they're there this is not a game right this is like this is how they're they're they make their money in their life and it's just like that's just not a situation I want to be in. So, you know, with, with 8 billion genies, like we did our own variants and we did stuff and we did stuff cause it's, it's fun. And we knew people would get excited about it and it brought attention to the book and we made some good money. But, um, yeah, there's, there's the, the culture of variant hunters has changed a lot in the last like couple of years. Um, and a lot of it is because of whatnot. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean like, again it's part of why i signed up with comic sketch art like that to give me a buffer and like to help um be more assertive with people that come to try and like get as much free shit as they can so that they can make as much money off me as they can um you know i i, I don't know it, it the experience with it there are plenty of people that collect variant covers because they love the art and they treat it mm-hmm, kind of like sure. cards and those people are are awesome and then there's people that come at it to figure out whatever the widget is, how can they make money off the widget? And so, um, you know, I, yeah, I it's this weird thing, right? Cause like pretty, pretty hard, uh, over the last year and mm-hmm. <laughs> not looking yeah. forward to going back into it. Yeah. I mean, cause, cause I think we have a tendency, uh, because we are, aren't into it to paint them as like, or paint the paint, the variant whole world is like this crazy world. And again, to your point, I think it's well made. It's like, there, there's a mix, just like there's a mix of people that, buy anything like some buy for the love some buy for different reasons some buy it purely for profit but like it's you can't paint everybody with the same brush but it does it does fascinate me just because i just i don't like i'm not i'm just not a cover person you know like i like of all the things i value in comics like covers are probably the least thing, thing i pay any attention to like when we do our year-end awards it's, we have a category for favorite cover and and that's always the struggle for me because i'm like i don't i don't remember <laughs> covers like i don't like i can tell you about the story and who wrote it and who drew it and why i liked it but I, I don't remember the cover it doesn't it doesn't do anything for me so it's just it's just fascinating to me because it's because as much as we like to paint it like oh it's just like the the publishers are certainly like they perpetuate it right like like marvel dc image they all put out chase variants right they all put out these retailer variants one in 50 one in 100 and they they build in incentives to the to the retailers to say hey if you you know if you if you buy you have to buy 20 percent more of this issue than you than you've bought over the last three months of this copy if you want this variant and it's like so so it's very clearly it's important to them like it is part of they believe it is an important part of their overall sales mix and without without variants they wouldn't sell anywhere near as many single issues as they do so like it's never going away but i'm just fascinated that it's a big enough market because yeah it feels like the people that are into variants are just not comic and again i'm painting with a broad brush but it feels to me like the one the people that are hustling for the variants are not like comic book fans. Like they don't really care what's going on inside of the book. And I realize, of course, that there are many who do. I'm just saying, but like it feels like in general, it's just a whole different set of human beings. Like the variant. Yeah, chasers. I mean, I I would say that it's it's a it's a it's a sliding scale in terms of mm-hmm. how much people actually read the insides. Um, but there's tons of people that do um, that 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 hunt after these, and it's like. You know, 
like you kind of have to remember that like this is a thing that has has perceived value and so like if you're a person that's trying to flip it someone's on the other end buying it and those people aren't always necessarily buying it to flip it because usually they're buying it at like the top of the market right and so so with someone's buying a cgc 500 dollar eight billion genies one with signatures and all that stuff like that's that's like that's an amazing like item that they have that they're like proud to show off or hang up on the wall or whatever and that's a completely different instinct like those are people that spend a lot of money because of a cover right because that thing is slabbed you're never gonna be able to read it um but that's like that's that's just a collectible item and that is like it it has value it has perceived value and thus it kind of has real value to the person that that would buy it so there so there's that guy in the end but it's the people in the middle that that are buying them as investments to try and flip that sure they're there probably are some of those people that read comics but for the most part it's just like they're just trading widgets um and you know it helps the industry uh like it helps it helps having these variants it helped us a lot um it brought attention to the book it brought um money to the book like it 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 you know everybody everybody wanted everybody profited on it um and you know stores do the same thing like you know, if there's if there's like a one in fifty, because we've done a one in fifty on 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 our image books, Charles and I, and it's always a picture of uh, my cat Simon, but covered right. in yeah. And um, <laughs> yeah. you do it because it, I mean, it's 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 silly and it's stupid and it should get some attention, but like it doesn't have anything to do with the book. And um, those like, like I know like stores that bought fifty copies of our book and just. By far, made their money back just flipping the one in fifty, and mm-hmm. so, in that sense, it increases our print run and it increases more books out into the world. And a, a store made a heavier investment, which was ended up being decently safe for them because they knew they could at least recoup their cost by selling flipping the one in fifty. And so, it does provide like this value of like now there are more books on the rack because you had to buy so many to get there. Yeah, uh, and so like it. You know, it it ebbs and flows in terms of the, the intensity of the market, and like, I think we're on like a downturn a little bit uh, right now, but um, it has its place, and there are there are tons of people that love those covers who also love comics. Um, it's just you know, I don't know. I I buy a comic and I I roll it up and put it in my back pocket. You know, I don't bag and board anything. I don't you know. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I like reading it and then uh uh you know usually the floppies get messed up and then i'll i'll you know if i liked it enough i'll buy a, a flagship on the shelf you know but that's just me i like it in the back pocket oh my god listen to that that's craziness <laughs> We've never been able to figure it out, but whatever. It's crazy. Yes, <laughs> it is crazy. So there you go. That's a good solid two hours of Ryan Brownie. Yeah, man. If you want to go to his Kickstarter, you don't even have to look for it because I will provide you with the URL. Go to our website, 11oclockcomics.com. Click on the episode thread for this here thing you're listening to, and nestled within the show notes 
is a clickable link that will take you right to the Kickstarter. That's how we do. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, that's awesome. I, uh, I, I'm totally at this, uh, point where, um, like I'm just, I'm, I'm excited about the Kickstarter as like a vehicle to get people to in- interested in reading my books. Um, and yes. like, it's it's like you know i have all this stuff most of the stuff is just sitting on my web store but like something about having a kickstarter and like having an event around it it's just like i don't know i'm 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 doing this to make a living but like i'm making a living telling stories that i want to tell and so it's just it's so it's so like amazing that all these people want to buy these books and like read the books and um yeah so this like with everything that happened with eight billion genies and and the intensity of of the the aftermarket collectors and and hostility and all this stuff, it's just like awesome to be like, oh yeah, this is fun. Everyone's having fun here. Like, let's just make some silly shit up and like, um, you know, like I'm doing a new issue of Blast Furnace that's part of the Kickstarter, and uh, that is just like a full uh, uh, ignoring all craft and just putting a bunch of silly ideas down on, on like <laughs> comic pages. And like, that's, that's helping like get me motivated to like be creative and make, make stuff up again. So, um, you know, so that like, that's, that's all these, that's all these backers. Like that's what they're doing. They're like helping me, um, remember why I'm doing this. <laughs> so I'm sure there are ears out there that do not know the premise behind the blast furnace. So it's a one hour time limit per page. Yes. Yeah. Uh, create- yeah. I write. I write. I write and draw each page in an hour, um, with no no thinking ahead and no planning and no script. Um, and then I don't make any edits. So, um, I I originally was doing it as uh, I was doing a page a day when I did the first one, and so then I would just do like five pages a week over the course of five days. Um, but now that I've been working in it, I'll work on it in like little batches. So I'll do like three consecutive pages for three hours or something like that. Um, just just because it's like honestly easier to get my brain in that creative improv mode and like stay there for a little while than it is to try and find it every day. Um, but it is all unplanned, unscripted, and uh, the art is drawn as fast as humanly possible. <laughs> So would it be safe to say that you would crush the 24-hour comic? Yeah, I mean, that's what it is. That's where it came yeah. from. I used to do those all the time. And then I would, like, the last one I did, I started hallucinating during. And I was like, I can't <laughs> do this anymore. But I love what I love what has come out of it. So I was like, what if I can just use that same energy but just do it non-consecutive 24 page comic like 24 hour comic um and so that's what the book is it's basically just a 24 hour comic that i just do over you break it up um yeah yeah, break it up yeah see if i started hallucinating during a project i would be like i have to do this more often (laughs) i i've reached the plateau this is great yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right guys anything else you want to ask mr brownie before he uh heads out uh Hmm. No, I was going to say, uh, how how are you enjoying the uh, the fantasy baseball season so far? I knew it. There it is. Well, uh, for those that don't know, Ryan and I for many years have been in a fantasy league together. Yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah it's yeah. it's it's okay. It's been it's been going okay. Um, 
I think ba- baseball in general has been more fun to watch with the new rules. Um, For sure. Agreed. But, uh, yeah, I don't know, like the heightened injuries that have happened this year. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. I, I, I play fantasy sports where I just never – I never stop. I never, like, give up. And so I continue to just, like, churn through roster decisions even when I'm, like, super out of it. And uh, that appears to be one of these years. <laughs> A lot of these leagues. Uh, and, and I, I have a question. Last place guy picked up all the good ads. I'm like, sorry. Hey, you said there's new rules. Yes. Yeah. How do you yeah. change the rules of baseball? Like, what can you beat the pitcher with the bat or something? Or like, um, well, they they generally propose rules, and all all the major sports propose rules changes every year. Um, and then with baseball, because they have minor leagues, they often, uh, as they did with this, they they implement the proposed rules in the minor leagues um, and test them for a year or two and see how they go. And then they bring them if they like them to the major leagues. So this year we got massive changes, uh, probably the most substantive changes to the game in, in, you know, a generation um, meant to both increase scoring, but also uh, speed the game up and, uh, and bring more balance back to the game because the game had kind of become what, what, what is known as the three outcome game where basically like people stopped like basically either struck out, hit a home run or, you know, or, or walked like that was the, that was kind of what, what baseball had become. And and so they wanted to get back to a world where you could bunt and you could steal and you could, there are lots of ways that you could create offense or not. And that's, that's, that's what they've done and it's working so far. Yeah. It's working well. And games are like a half hour shorter on average. Mm-hmm. Um, so now they're only 12 and- hours. No, they're under three hours. They're averaging yeah. two two and a half hours. Yeah. Like, wow. They're, they're, it's it's kind of amazing. And like what they cut out was was just downtime. And so uh, you know, part of part of what they had figured out, like velocity on pitching is is higher than it's ever been, and it continues to like climb, which maybe is why there are so many pitching injuries. But um the pitchers were taking so long between pitches to kind of uh, recuperate. And so they could go more max effort. And so the idea now is that you have a running, a clock starts. So there's now a clock in baseball and you have a certain amount of time to come set and the pitch. And so pitchers are not, um, you know, so it's like, it's just causing more injuries because they don't have time to rest before a max effort motion of pitching. Um, But it makes the game so much more watchable because there's not a lot of walking around, adjusting your batting gloves and, you know, Hmm. shaking off signs forever and stepping off forever. And so they basically have just like cut out a lot of dead time. Um, And it's made the product like considerably more enjoyable, but it's severely cut into beer sales. Um, Like it's, it's costing teams millions of dollars in beer sales because the games are so much shorter, (laughs) which is really strange. And then the vendors, uh, are making less money at the stadiums. Like, there's all these weird consequences and like ripple effects of making the game shorter. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a, it's been a really interesting, um, like, fun year as a whole to just kind of watch baseball and like stuff actually happening is 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 pretty pretty wonderful. Ryan is whooping his opponent's ass this week so far, eight two and two. I'm doing it. <laughs> well, didn't he beat you like three years in a row or something? No, I won. D- David I- Harper is the uh, is the. I mean, as much as it pains me to acknowledge this, David Harper in this uh, this is the head to head league. D- Dap is in 
three of the leagues, but not this one. Um, this is the head-to-head league, and uh, I have to say, if, if I'm being objective, David Harper has the most career success in this league. Yeah, he won last year. I won the year before. Yes, um, DWJ then, won the year before that. And then, uh, yeah, he's not in anymore, is he? I this year, I he, he is, he's out this year, yeah. Yeah. But uh, I have finished second uh, three, three years in a row, so, yeah. You're a strong player. You're a very strong player. Great job. I, I beat Ryan twelve to two last week, just the record. Yeah. I'm Love you, Ryan. Right <laughs> All right. <laughs> so do it. Come to the website, click on the link, go to this episode thread, and you can go directly to uh God Hates Astronauts again on Kickstarter. Or if you're on Kickstarter already, just God Hates Astronauts do a search and you'll find it. It's well worth it. Facts. Big facts. I'm going to get all the, the issues. <laughs> I, I, got my, I got a sketch coming. I got some, some page coming. I'm excited. Yeah, man. Thank I, you. I have a, a God Hates Astronauts cover with a giant dick on it. <laughs> yeah, you, you do. do. That's true. <laughs> I do. And I love true. it. Yep. That is true. I'm uh, very offended by that. Yeah, can I get a dick on this new one? Long gone are the days when I could be like... Hey Ryan, you mind coloring this jam piece head for me real quick? <laughs> yeah, these yeah. are gone. <laughs> Damn. We'll, we'll, I'm gonna have to go to like the Poughkeepsie Con when you're just there, like randomly, and get you there. <laughs> yeah, or yeah, pay him what he's worth. Dude, I have never not offered failure. Oh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm a capitalist. I never begrudge my friends their monies. <laughs> yep. There you go. All right. Hey, uh, this has been awesome. Thank you, Ryan, for being with yeah, us. Yeah. Thank you. Congrats again, bud. Yeah, yeah. I really, I really appreciate you having me on again, and and uh, I hope that chat was uh, interesting and not a downer. No, <laughs> no, it was, it was wonderful. Good, good, good. You go have M- a good mildly night. engaging. Always. <laughs> I'll take mildly engaging. I want that on a shirt. That's on my tombstone. Nice. Now we know who the hammerhead is of the group. That's right. Mm, indeed. <laughs> Later. All right, so you know the drill at this point. Uh, get yourselves out there. Go get some comics. Uh, kiss your loved ones. Make them pets all nice and happy and say good night. What is his name again? Turquoise? Salmonella? Budapest? No. It's David. Good night. <laughs> Salmonella. Budapest. Pesh. <laughs> Spagooter. Oh, good Lord. Had Spagooter tonight. I love Spagooter. David. Have a, nice. Haven't had uh, Spagooter in a long time. And remember, yeah, yeah. remember our sponsor, CheapGraphicNovels.com. Cheap, and the Conan sale. Yes. CheapGraphicNovels.com is currently running until the June 23rd. A 55% off sale on the Conans. You're not going to get these cheaper anywhere else. <laughs> Believe me. Now, this is Omnibu, Epic Collections, uh, the Mahmoud and Jason Aaron oversized hardcover, the first 12 issues of Conan. Get there now because this stuff so is not going to it's the Marvel ha- stuff, the Dark Horse stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, oh, wow. Okay. Anything Conan? It's Even the Ablaze stuff? No. Oh, uh, okay. No, just I didn't. Conan I, proper. 
Yeah, it's mostly okay. it's mostly Marvel books. Sure. Like it's the epic collections, but some of those collect Dark Horse, Dark Horse right, published yeah. material. So uh, right. just go, you're going to save a hell of a lot. It's it's the maximum savings, maximum truth. Just go there, cheapgraphicnovels.com. And and I know we always, I always forget to uh, remind everybody that uh, this podcast is available everywhere you get any of your other podcasts. Obviously, you know that because you're listening to us. But if you're not happy with Spotify, you can find us on Stitcher. If you're not happy with Stitcher, you can find us on Apple Podcasts. We're basically anywhere you get your podcasts is all I'm trying to say. Yeah. Don't we forget. Should, we should do that at the beginning of the episode. But we we'll, should. We'll get there. We'll work on it. Yeah, yeah, we're, tweaking it. You know, we're, we're, we're still new at this. We're right. new to this. There we yeah. go. Yeah, tits on Good a bowl. night, Jason, when you're, yeah. you're back. Where did he go? He said BRB. Um, so it was either bathroom break or the dogs. Whatever. See ya. We love you so much. Tell them. We do. Yes. We do. Absolutely. And the form for June's Book of the Month will be up very soon. Uh, hopefully tomorrow, likely Saturday, but we'll have it up soon. Excellent. Oh, and he's back just in time oh, to say goodnight, love. everybody. Say- oh, look at you. Damn, you're all wrapping up while I had those dogs out. Damn. Yes. Well. Yes, yes, yes. We're not going to talk about them books? Nope. What are we going to do, a three-hour show? Oh, yeah, because we didn't. We haven't I, done I could, done thousand, I could talk about show. a book. You want to hear about a book? <sighs> I guess not. You already said your goodbyes. I mean, I well, I oh, like, like they... Gonna... Mm. <laughs> it is. Dap and I have a tag team coming up then. Okay, Multiple then. tag teams. Nice. Yeah. I read a Marvel book. <laughs> yeah, you did. You did. You did. I saw that. <laughs> like, like of all the Marvel books, it's like I know. that's the I'm one like, he reads. I'm weirded out by that, but yeah, I can't. I cannot wait. Well, to hear well it was really good. Okay. All right. Well, well, issues. People need to come back next week to hear about all these great books. Yes. There you go. Yes, just wherever you get podcasts, we're there. <laughs> all of it. All the spots. We love you so much. And, and and in your travels, we'll be back next time. We're not. I know it's two in a row, but we'll be back with it next week. Yeah. Well, I just didn't want to have to pummel him with stuff that he would right, rather no, be. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. I get you. It's all yeah. good. Yeah, my man. Yeah, like I said, he told he told me he's been rereading Akira rather than new comics. So. Yeah, it's not detailed enough for me. What? Lacks de- <laughs> lacks detail. Yeah. Bye. Twitter, bro. That's it for that one. <laughs>